Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forest Church Podcast, What It Means. We're exploring the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. For today's episode, we're picking up on part two of our conversation with Carl Doty and Laura Ketzel on how autonomous vehicles will impact the global economy. We'll delve into the remaining three industry domains that will be affected by autonomous vehicles, government, media and entertainment, and safety, security, and privacy. So does the government play a very different role in not just sort of building the potential for autonomous vehicles, but actually an active role in animating that whole environment? They are one of the big players in the field on a day-by-day basis. Yes, they absolutely do. And there will be a number of really interesting things to watch in how that takes takes shape. Carl already talked about the investment that's going to be necessary to fund the infrastructure improvements. So those improvements have to be invested in, and obviously governments will be making choices about how they tax their citizens, how much, and what they invest in and how soon. And the thing you come to realize in looking into this, if you go back into transport history, right, because transportation has changed a ton over the last couple hundred years. And so what you see is that seemingly small policy choices end up having huge impacts, and that's policy choices by governmental entities as well as policy choices by private operators of various things. And governments obviously have a big role to play in regulating what kinds of private policy choices by companies get made and how they affect what turns out to be the physical structure of a place, which is what transport policy does. Absolutely. So, and we talked about earlier that this is one of those cases where technology is not, for a change, running circles around regulation because regulators have had some time to think about this autonomous vehicle stuff. And so there will be a lot of really important policy choices made in the next couple of years that will govern, in the end, how cities, particularly cities in the emerging world, right, because there are all these gigantic megacities in the developing world that are tens of millions of people already and growing really fast, places like Kinshasa and Tianjin in China and so on. And they have the potential, if they do these things right, to leapfrog. It's sort of the same story from where emerging markets didn't put in a whole lot of copper wire to do communications. They just went straight to mobile. And so they didn't invest in a gigantic copper wire network the way we did in in the first world. So there are a whole load of really interesting policy implications possible for those kinds of metropolises which don't have the infrastructure in place and actually have horrendous transport challenges currently with congestion and with it being unsafe, quite frankly, to get from point A to point B. And so done right, autonomous vehicles can actually provide a part, a significant part of the solution to the perennial challenge of the people who are moving their way into the bottom echelon of the middle class have a lot of trouble living anywhere near where the jobs are. And their transport options aren't any good, so the first thing they do when they get enough money together is buy a car. In places like that, people won't have to do that anymore, which will be a tremendous boon, potentially, to societies all over the world. So one role the government plays is through responding to global warming. And it's done it through fuel efficiency rules that apply in different countries. Um, We've had some notable issues with people tweaking that, you know, Volkswagen. We see a decarbonization effort almost on a worldwide scale in energy utilities and car makers, others. I mean, this is a, a big societal push right now 
that is somewhat facilitated by government, somewhat facilitated by sort of the active citizenry kind of thing. You can imagine in 10 years that if I have a more uniform fleet of cars, ships, trains, whatever they might be, and I have continuous improvement in the battery world and electric vehicle type thing, does this mean that in 10 years our fundamental use of fossil fuels, which has been a you know the fuel of the vehicle, will decline to such the level that it that autonomous vehicles is actually playing an active role in mitigating the effects of global warming? I think that's where we're headed, sure. Um, it, you know, it might not be 10 years from now, but we'll start to see that decline for sure because the fact is most of these vehicles are going to be increasingly electric-powered, right? Um, as I said earlier, in, in the more rural places, people are still going to have their, their gas-powered uh, vehicles, et cetera, myself included, if I'm going to still be able to afford to be a driving enthusiast then. But, um, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, long-term, this is sort of the, the death of the combustion engine. Yeah, I mean, it'll take longer for kind of heavy road vehicles like big trucks to go fully electric, right? Because the battery technology would have to improve leaps and bounds even over what everyone seems to think is possible, given what we know now over the next several years. So it'll take a little longer than 10 years, I agree with Carl. But over time, autonomous vehicles, because a lot of them will be electric and thus thus not be emitting the greenhouse gases that help drive global warming will absolutely help play a role in reducing emissions. The other thing to think about is that the efficiency alone that you get out of autonomous vehicles, even if they're still fossil fuel powered, actually helps too, right? Because these vehicles use up a lot of that those fossil fuels and thus generate a lot of their emissions when they're sitting around idling, waiting for something to be unloaded or loaded or moved or what have you. And in an autonomous world, those kinds of friction times, like we were talking about with moving from mode of transport A to mode of transport B before, also diminish. So that helps decrease emissions too. So moving us on to media and entertainment, we've talked about autonomous vehicles almost being a canvas for infotainment, right? So mm-hmm. can we talk about you know what does that look like in, in 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, Forrester's done a lot of research on the death of advertising as we know it. We've done another podcast on that. I think this space in particular, uh, autonomous vehicles for consumers represents sort of the, the brand new frontier for advertisers, right? Uh, the day when, you know, quote, this ride is brought to you by the champagne of beers is a very real reality. Um, we the, talk- irony, the irony of that is not missed on me. Yeah. Right, right. Um we kind of had some laughs over this, right? But when you think about it, it, on a fully autonomous vehicle, if that vehicle itself is providing a ride as part of a part of a destination trip, part of a of an entertainment or a vacation, um, that this is a very real likelihood. And uh, even this notion of you know Vegas rules for the car applies, right? What happens in the car stays in the car. Um, so we're going to see some real fundamental changes here in the experiences that large brands, including the auto manufacturers themselves, will try to provide while consumers are inside these these vehicles. It creates a new battleground because the idea would be that Tesla sort of created a new precedent for what it means to have information in the car, you know, almost like a cockpit style kind mm-hmm. of thought process. Well, you get a new car every time you get a tech upgrade. Right, right exactly. Sure. So it's really a software And I think they barely scratched the surface. Sure. The other car makers are trying to catch up. So those are peers of Tesla. 
now I have a vehicle that is more common than not and is being differentiated based upon the software. And then your mind will quickly go to those people that are in the media space, not in the automotive space, Mm -hmm. who would go in there and say, well, that's really my domain. That's really the domain of Apple and Google and Facebook and others and others that will come on board, that that's really their core competency. Does, Does this create a different competitive thought process for anyone thinking about what's inside whatever this vehicle is? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of equate this back to uh, the rise of smartwatches, right? When smartwatches, when Apple first came out with with the iWatch, um, advertisers were drooling. There's a lot of hype around the quote-unquote third screen of the fourth screen. I kind of lost count how many screens there were at this point. Um, but the problem there was the screen was so small. I mean, how can you really provide an, an immersive or a meaningful and relevant advertising experience on a screen like that? When you're inside a car and the windows are literally the screen and they're surrounded you 360 degrees, all of a sudden it opens a lot of possibilities for large brands to uh, to really deliver some um, pretty overwhelming experiences, frankly. Well, I mean, Facebook is a social entity. It's a publisher. Audi is not. Mm-hmm. Audi is a car maker. Ten years from now, they both will play a role as publisher, media player, and automotive thingamajig, yes. whatever it might be. So the blurring of the line is really a destruction of the line at that point in time. Well, I mean, does the automaker become sort of the dumb pipes in in the process, right? If they're not careful, sure. Um, I don't think so. Not the ones that are going to survive this transformation, right? Um, As I said earlier, the the more sophisticated auto manufacturers right now are trying to become technology companies. I mean, they're stating that as their strategy. And part of that evolution for them, and it's probably more revolution than evolution, um, is literally becoming a publisher. Part of becoming a technology company for them will be to act as a publisher and literally sell space to brands inside the vehicle. And that's a two-step because the first thing is you're a car maker and now you're a software company and now you're a publisher. There's a couple of forks in those roads that are going to be hard to, absolutely, no pun intended, to navigate. Yeah, yeah. Let's turn our attention over to privacy and security. And I'm going to go from two angles. One is privacy is already a consideration in the insurance market because there are devices now that look at driving behavior and will set policy accordingly. There's already concerns about how is my data, how is my behavior being used to make economic decisions about me? And then there's a more, Laura, you brought up really the dystopian issue of a massive hack in in destroying cars and people and people dying, that type of thing and creating this sort of havoc. In 10 years from now, where are we or where do we need to be from the standpoint of privacy and security so that this this very integrated, intelligent, meshed environment makes sense and is reasonably efficient and reasonably safe? So there are a lot of challenges with keeping these autonomous vehicles safe because you... If you look at your your vehicle, your personal vehicle even today, right, it's got six, seven, a dozen, however many general purpose computers in it already. Some and, and you've started connecting those with fairly kind of high bandwidth connections now with this with the cars that have these sophisticated infotainment systems and all this. And none of that was ever designed, none of the stuff that's in the car was ever designed to be exposed to the wild and woolly public network. There is a model for designing 
connected vehicles safely, and it's the one you see in aviation, right? So the systems that control the safety of all of us as aircraft passengers that fly the plane and do all that are isolated from the in-flight entertainment systems and now the in-flight Wi-Fi and all of this. So that can be done. Vehicles have not had to think about that before. And so there will be a whole bunch of retrofit in vehicle design to account for this difference of these vehicles that are now connected. And thus, you may have seen the sort of the most uh, publicized one of these is in 2015, a couple of security researchers managed to remotely disable the accelerator on a moving Jeep Cherokee that was actually moving along a highway. So that's that's fairly terrifying if you think about it. And so there will be hacks. There will be problems in the future, and they people will get hurt. There is a model for designing this correctly, but it's going to take some work, and it's going to be expensive because, of course, securing things properly is nothing like free. The, so you can see how a lot of the information security people in, in my field get very, very agitated about uh, autonomous vehicles generally because they're really worried, justifiably, about the security of those systems. So there's a lot of work to do there. The other thing to think about is the privacy angle that, Victor, you raised in your question, because autonomous vehicles will be collecting and using and shipping around huge amounts of data, uh, much of which is about us. So you can find out exactly where we are, exactly what we're doing, how fast we're going, where we're going, etc. And it's worse than the challenge posed in many ways by smartphones, because that's the question a lot of people ask, because we operate our smartphones, and so we make choices about what they transmit and what they don't, whereas the autonomous vehicle is making its own choices, because it has to, about how to communicate and with whom. And so those communications certainly can be disrupted. So there will be a lot of work to do to secure this infrastructure and there will be and there will be problems and people will get hurt and but I think just because that's true isn't going to stop these changes from happening because the benefits are simply too great and so everyone in all the different fields have to come have to sort of work at these challenges and acknowledge that they're going to be tough to stay ahead of. So we started the story with the idea that we're moving towards autonomous vehicles. As we went through the discussion, we found out the implications are vast and significant. So as I think of it, the beginning of autonomous vehicles as sort of a concept, there's a lot of meaning to it. But at the end of the day, what are the big meanings of autonomous vehicle as we sit here today? If you really think about this, if you conceptualize all the ripple effects of, of this transformation, it's hard to imagine a business in any industry that is not affected by the movement of people or things in some way, right? Um, so I, I don't care what industry you're in, uh, whether it's insurance, retail, healthcare, financial services, you can't ignore the transformation that, that lies in front of us right now over the next couple of decades. The cost structures are changing. The technology is changing. The skills and talent you need to deal with this uh, are changing. So uh, don't, don't think of this as just a, a self-driving car novelty. It is not. 
So we've talked about the kind of downside of the security and safety and privacy sides of autonomous vehicles in the sense that they are more complex and interconnected and so can be hijacked by people with a malicious intent. The positive side of autonomous transport I alluded to a bunch earlier and so I think it's important to emphasize the opportunities that are here for sort of progress of human civilization, as grandiose as that sounds, in addition to the economic changes that Carl just talked about at the top level. So one of the fundamental problems in the world is that people without very much money can't afford to live where the jobs are, as I said earlier. And the transportation options that they have for getting from where they live to where the jobs are are often terrible, exhausting, dangerous, autonomous vehicles give us an opportunity to change that because rich or poor, you can use autonomous transport in the future to get to work safely and on time from wherever you are. And to go back to uh, what Carl was talking about in the media and entertainment sector, and if you don't have very much money, you can agree to see ads from your uh, friendly sponsors, you know, this, this ride sponsored by Miller, the champagne of beers, in return for a lower cost or free ride. So there are a lot of things that autonomous transport does to actually make people's lives better. And you'll see employers providing autonomous commuting services because they want to make sure that their their highly paid employees are as productive as possible. So the employees can live wherever because they're not exhausting themselves driving their cars for two hours. Although, you know, Carl will like driving his car for two hours, but not everybody does. So the uh, there are lots of opportunities there for people to live where they want, work where they need to, and not lose out when those two things are for kind of lifestyle and happiness reasons or necessity far apart. So there are tons tons of ways in which autonomous vehicles plus the ability to share plus the ability to subsidize the price of the transport by consuming advertisements and other such things actually make a lot of people's lives a lot better in the long term. So this is a cool topic, going to change a lot. We'll return back with both of you. Thank you for your time, both Carl and Laura. It was fun. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. <laughs>